Hello, and welcome to Health Views with Deb Friesen, MD, a podcast about health and wellness within today's healthcare landscape. I'm your host, Dr. Deb Friesen with Kaiser Permanente, and I've been working in healthcare for over 20 years. During that time, I've learned that the most powerful tool for healing is the power of listening and the value of asking the right questions. Come join me as we'll together explore timely topics that impact people, businesses, and communities. Now let's check out today's view. On this episode of Health Views, I'm excited to talk with Nari Gopala, Kaiser Permanente's Chief Digital Officer. As Chief Digital Officer, he leads cross-functional teams to transform a full range of digital experiences in service of the organization's 12.7 million members and its clinical workforce. Nari oversees Kaiser Permanente's member app and website, kp.org, including its digital strategy, user experience, and ongoing enhancements and in 2022 received two prestigious industry accolades, the Webby Awards People's Voice winner and Design Company of the Year by Fast Company. He joined Kaiser Permanente in 2021 and brings over 25 years of experience leading global digital platforms, including prior leadership positions at Amazon Web Services and Sony Online Entertainment. All right, so let us start actually at the beginning if we can. You've actually had a very interesting journey to where you are, and I'm wondering if you always knew that you wanted to be, back when you were a little kid, a chief digital officer. So tell me about how you made this journey, maybe through your education and your career, to get to this place. Yeah, no, the answer, the short answer, the quick answer is no. (laughs) I think you grow up thinking a lot of different things and just like, I don't know if kids of these days think about it, but I think growing up, I knew I wanted to do something in the technology field, but wasn't sure what it was or where it's going to go. It'd probably be interesting to know a little bit about my background and where I grew up and where I'm today. So I was born and brought up in the southern part of India into a middle-class family had convent education through high school, and then went into one of the top-notch engineering schools in India and did engineering as my undergrad, which during that time period, very much a routine thing for most people there in India. And so engineering was where I started. And, and, and what kind of engineering? Was it around information technology at that time, or was it just more generalized, mechanical? Where were you in that space? Yeah, I was actually much more specialized in in an area called metallurgy and material science. And the school that I went to was fairly rated for that. So that's kind of where I did. But even at that time, and this was mid-90s or early 90s, even at that time, there was enough evidence to say that computer science and IT as we know it now, there was enough evidence to say that that was going to be a huge disruption in terms of how the future is going to work, no matter which engineering field you, you went through. So did a lot of courses as part of that undergrad, and then coming out of college, worked in that field for a year or so before I decided that, okay, well, if the future is going that way, might as well move on. So moved completely into computer science and software engineering and in development and been on that path ever since. So at that point, I think as we were getting closer to the century mark, I think hopefully some listeners heard the term Y2K. So Y2K was a big deal. There was a lot of movement of talent and people from India and other countries into the U.S. to deal with a lot of the changes that needed to happen to get things ready here for Y2K. 
So I actually moved to the U.S. late 97, early 98 as part of that. And my initial consulting engagements were working on projects that dealt with securing and solidifying systems to be ready for the Y2K and then moved into developing consumer-facing websites for travel industry just around the time travel industry was, was picking up and retail and supply chain and everything before entering gaming. Yeah, let's just stop at that entering gaming because I think it's such an interesting pivot that you made going from consulting, travel, retail, online entertainment, gaming. So how does the transition from gaming to healthcare happen? And do they have more in common than it initially appears? Yeah, yeah. So I spent a lot of time in gaming. I think oftentimes we think about gaming as another form of entertainment. So it was always the consumers or the players that we to deal with. If you look at it at the human level, what were they looking for? They were looking for having a good time, some of them. Some of them were competitive and they wanted to go do certain things, do quests, get some rewards or win a battle or be a champion on something. So They want to level up, right? They're always wanting to level, want to up. level up. Yes. They want to, absolutely, absolutely. So if you take the human element of it, it was like they were looking for an experience and they were looking for some challenges. They were looking for something that makes them feel better when they exit the game as when they enter the game. And, and you kind of make it, if the game was good enough, if your experience was good enough, we hope that they would come back to that game every day or multiple times every day and so on. That's how that business model worked. When the pandemic hit and kind of this introspection of where, where do I want to go next and where do I want to do Take the technology background and then the software background I have and, and do something much more meaningful and impactful. Healthcare kept coming back up as, as one of the areas of interest. And I've been a KP member patient before, and I've experienced some of the care and the quality of care that, that my family got through the system. So I know there was some good stuff happening in healthcare and kind of felt like there was an opportunity there for a technologist to come and make more impactful things in this field. So that's kind of what brought me to healthcare. But if you look at your question about what do I bring and how is it common, if you look at the, again, the human element of it, I think, first of all, we want to engage the member, the patient. And when they get engaged, what they're looking for is they're either looking for some sort of care, some sort of advice on what they need to do to keep their health or manage their condition better and so on. Or they have some questions about something transactional like, how do I pay for this or where do I go for this and so on. So the digital engagement portion of it's very similar to kind of any other industries. How do you get them in to, to even engage with the application or the site or whatever the touch point is? And then once they are there, how do you make it really frictionless for them to kind of carry forward that experience where they have that fulfillment at the end of the day to say, okay, I, I came in with a problem. I went through this, it was taken care of, and the overall experience was great. And I think that it really parallels, as you talk about what people are looking for, it's the change that's actually happening in healthcare delivery as well. It used to be kind of before all of our digital access that the way to get a problem solved was to make an appointment, but people don't necessarily want appointments. You said it earlier, they want their problem solved. And so I think this is such a different way of recognizing that and then moving to meet that need. 
And I want to get into something really basic, actually, which is what does digital transformation actually mean? When I bring that up to talk about people think I'm talking about virtual care. And I think there's a lot of overlap between those two concepts, and they're not the same thing. So can you talk to me about what digital transformation means in healthcare? Absolutely. Transformation in general of of any kind means a change, right? And I think it's usually not a simple change. It's a change that triggers a lot more changes that kind of builds up to completely transforming a particular industry or a subsegment of that. So when you think about healthcare in particular, there have been changes before. It's not like the pandemic, everything will happen only since the pandemic. And I think there's lots of things that have changed in the past. And healthcare has also had digital components from way back. In fact, I worked for a health system that was one of the pioneers in actually thinking about an electronic medical record way back 20 years ago. There are lots of other changes that have happened along the way in terms of doing things digitally as opposed to filling out forms or opposed to assuming that you have to go in for an appointment in person all the time. Now, of course, the pandemic changed some of it and it kind of accelerated some of it. But at the end of the day, I think what we mean by digital transformation, what when I think about digital transformation, it's usually can the first order of touch point with the consumer, with the member patient, can that be digital? And how far can digital help to get you along that journey before you absolutely need to see a doctor or a physician or a clinician for care? I mean, that's part of how the system works, but what aspects of it can we do digitally so we take the burden from the system that everything has to be done in the vicinity or in the thing of a hospital setting or, or a medical office building, right? So what can you do on the digital channel that helps carry this journey along and helps solve the problem? And really, as I was thinking about that, it's almost as if the digital experience becomes part of the healthcare team. It is very much so. That's how we think about it. I think some people talk about it as digital health. And I think we can go back to your question about if this is digital health, then what is virtual care or what is telehealth or various other terminologies that people have used, right? So to give you a quick example on that, now, telehealth, for instance, or doing telephone visits or video visits or or things of that nature have existed even before the pandemic. But where did it truly became a digital first transformation is the pandemic forced us to rapidly think about when someone cannot come to an urgent care or to a facility, but they still have something that needs to be taken care of, how do you do it? And so you saw these health systems and providers come up with this various ways of providing that care virtually through video visits and so on, where everything happens on the digital channel. From the moment you decide, I'm not feeling well, I'm undergoing something, I need a quick check, to opening up your device of choice, clicking on that button, getting on that call with your clinical care team or physician, and getting off of it, and then whatever the actions that you have to take, everything started happening on the digital channel because that was the only thing that was available to folks at the height of the pandemic. So... That's kind of where the transformation kind of gathers momentum to go from a specific capability like telehealth or virtual care to then becoming much more broader in terms of digital transformation end to end. 
and getting that experience for the consumer addressed from the moment they decide to do something to when they get taken care of. And talking about a consumer, I thought it was so interesting thinking about, again, who is using digital health care. And I think that your focus is on that patient or member. And yet, when you're thinking about healthcare and how all of this information needs to be integrated, it's also the physicians and providers. It's the medical researchers. It's the insurance company, policymakers. It is not just this one-faceted thing that we're looking at, but I can only imagine the breadth of what you're trying to organize and bring together with all of those different stakeholders, as it were, in a system where they're all looking for something just a little bit different. You're absolutely right. So we have multiple stakeholders, like you said, but when we think about the starting point for the transformation and say, where do you want to start with, right? Just like any other industry where you've heard the term customer obsessed or redesigning your business around the consumer, we had to first go to the consumer side and start there first. So that's kind of how we, we went through that journey. We, we started with the consumer because we knew you need to have consumers, you need to have customers to have a business to then have everything else that you're, you're referring to. So we started there, but since then, to your point, we believe that I mean, if you, if you think about the stethoscope, there's two sides of the stethoscope. So we know the digital transformation does not stop with the consumer. It extends to the care team. It extends to the, in this country at least, where you need to have a health plan and insurance and all that. It extends to, as a consumer, where do you go for that? In many cases, again, in this country, it's through an employer or employer group or a broker or some other thing that you're part of. How do you then, on the other side of it, who's making sure that you are signed up for the right plan and then you're in the, we have the right benefits and coverage for what's appropriate for you, your age, your conditions, and so on and so forth. So they all become stakeholders to this digital transformation journey that we are on. And we are slowly starting to put efforts towards each of those stakeholder group and saying what's important for them from a digital standpoint and how do we provide that as, as part of this transformation as well. And let's not forget in all of this, the employees themselves. We often say when you have a large enterprise, there's for employees as much become how you live and breathe your mission and purpose. They become, whether they are in sales or not, they are your sales force as well. When they, when they in their community talk about not only how great it is to work at the company that they're working for, but what are all that system provides in terms of care and so on. They are your conduit to eventually getting to helping spread the message around the, the health system and what we're doing here in terms of a transformation. So the employees are also not forgotten. I think their experiences, their digital needs have to be taken care of. So the digital transformation itself is much, much broader than any specific capability like telehealth or virtual care or any of that. And I think as it has happened in many other industries before, and even it's happened in uh, healthcare before, I think this particular one, we kind of consider this as a wave. It was a tsunami for a few months there in the peak of the pandemic, but it's now down to a wave. We feel like it's the right time happening in healthcare, I think, for things to really change how healthcare delivery happens. I think this has this been a great few years for that to happen here in the States. Well, and I really think, again, when it changes for enough people, 
you finally get to that tipping point where it becomes the expectation. And we talked about the different range of kind of stakeholders, but there's also the range of experiences. And you alluded to those previously. There's still brick and mortar experience, and, and that's not digital, although it's, it's enabled by digital when you talk about an electronic medical record and an after-visit summary that someone can access later. But then there is the telephone call or the telephone visit. There's the virtual video visit. There's symptom checkers. And in a lot of different systems, those are disaggregated from each other, which, again, when it comes to that user experience, that digital user experience is very much less than ideal. And it seems to me that there is just not as much tolerance and patience for things to not have connectivity in their healthcare, especially when it's their healthcare, which is to say when you have a phone call with someone that tells you to go to the urgent care, but urgent care doesn't know why you came in, that we are not providing the experience that the member is looking for around that. Yeah, and I agree with you there. If you think about why this is happening now and why there is such a momentum behind digitization and digital transformation of healthcare, it's because the landscape has changed. The consumer expectations have changed. Before the pandemic, I don't know what percentage of people ordered groceries to their door. Maybe there was some, but... but Not me. Pandemic... Yeah, but, but during <laughs> I, a whole new skill set, yes. I would still like to check my tomatoes and get the right ripened fruits and so on, right? But then the pandemic forced a completely different behavior. And now people are much more used to it, that they're like, okay, I don't have time to shop groceries. I can have somebody deliver the groceries to my door. If you think about the travel industry, I mean, it was completely disrupted after 9-11. We all know in this country, we've traveled before, we have traveled after, but they transformed themselves to the point and continue to evolve that today I could even make an international trip without literally, with, with just my phone in the end and my passport, not taking any other thing out. I could go through the entire process door to door, completely hooked up. So the phone in my hand has become much more important than a lot of other things because you do so much on that. So a lot of these changes are happening in other areas of consumer experiences. That when it comes to healthcare, people are expecting that. People are like, do I really have to schedule an appointment, go for it, take drive-in and wait and do all of this? Can I just do it from the comfort of my living room and get taken care of? So how healthcare is practiced has also significantly changed in the past few years as this digitization has taken over. As you rightly said, today, the physicians often think about for what equity and for what symptoms and what level of reasons that do I insist on getting a patient in person versus what can I do virtually to kind of treat them and keep them well. And a lot of that was not something in their operating muscle five, 10 years ago, but now they have to do more of that because the consumer expectations also changed. So that's led to a lot of good things that have come out of it, but it has also had some side effects. So for instance, when you think about your relationship with your primary care, and I know most people are familiar with the HMO model and, and the primary care being at the, at the center of it. I know growing up and, and even early days in, in this country, the primary care sometimes knew a lot about you, your family. They had a panel size, but they knew so much. They had time to spend with you on the visit. They had, and today, it's become a lot more difficult for them because of the volume of things that they're getting. Now, 
how does virtual care help in those regards? So if they can take care of some of those patients virtually and not have to, and even get them taken care of through other means, like for instance, if it's a pharmacy refill, how can they directly go and do that themselves? If it's a lab test, can they just show up and get their lab test done before they show up so you don't have to worry about some of it? So if you can take some of that burden off of the physician plate, then they can spend more time with the patients that they're actually seeing in person. I think somebody mentioned one of my interactions. There is a reason why the terminology was attending physician in hospitals before. Because when you are in front of them, you as the patient are supposed to be getting their fullest attention. And what the pandemic has done is because of the amount of load and stuff that we have put on the system and these physicians and so on, a lot of times they don't have that time. So how do we get that quality time back so for those people that they are seeing in person, they can actually fully pay the attention, kind of relate and connect and really understand the holistic care model there that we often see and want. You touched on something that I think is really important, which is how medicine is even responding to the different requests and needs of the consumer, the patient. And one of the things that I think, and that I knew even before we went through this transformation is once that relationship is established, it's actually very easy to respond to a question or to just do an email or those kinds of things. And the other thing I knew is that while patients would wait as long as they needed to sometimes to come in for their well patient exam, their physical, if you've got a fever and a sore throat and a cough today, you medically shouldn't wait and you don't want to wait. And, and any doctor who's going to be able to treat me is, is really what I want, which is where I think digital really comes in you know, being able to sort out the acute from the chronic management and triaging the access with an appropriate response to what the patient presents with. Another thing I wanted to bring up, there's a trust that you have in your doctor, and there's also a trust that's needed in the system. And one of the things that we saw during the pandemic when we were trying to do contact tracing was, I'm not sure I trust you with my positive test. I'm not sure that I want a system to have information about me, and I'm not sure how it's being used. It's kind of one thing when it's being used for my good, for my health, but when it's being used for a public health aspect or even research or community and you don't know how it's being used, I think it's a little bit harder hurdle for people to pass sometimes. Why is that? And, and can you talk about the trust and the ethics involved in gathering information that might not be for an individual's benefit, but for a population or society's benefit? Yeah, I think you touch on something that often comes about as even the number one reason for why the, as a consumer feels that the healthcare system, in their word, was broken this country or what needs to be repaired, right? I think it's that trust factor. And I think a lot of that goes back to what can healthcare systems and providers and others do to kind of help educate some of the consumers and the patients in terms of how that data is being used and what bigger benefits can come out of it in terms of, in terms of that. I think in the early days of the pandemic, there was a lot of information out there. And I think it was difficult to understand what could be trusted and what was created by this social media wave of things that are going on and so on. So I think, as someone once said, I think even in the very early days when internet became a thing and a lot of these plethora of social media platforms and so on came about, 
privacy, data privacy in particular, had changed quite a bit. But for a regulated industry like healthcare, where the PHI data is held in the highest regard in terms of controls, how do you then, from a technology and from a use perspective, how do you then ensure that you gain that trust from the consumer in terms of where, what you're using it for, how are you using it, and how it benefits not only them, but the larger community? And I think a little bit of transparency in terms of what we are using, how you're using it, certainly helps. We actually, on the digital side, we took on some of that challenge. So a lot of the work in the COVID test kits, and the vaccination, we felt like digital could play a huge role because it's mostly information and people are looking for a trusted source of information and how better to do that than through the digital channel. So on the same social media platforms where you're getting pummeled with all kinds of other things, how could we carve out the right way to get in touch with you as a member patient and get you the right information that you want? So we did that through our app and kind of used that vehicle to say, we can reach you. We can get you that information. We can nudge you to say it's time for your next flu vaccine. It's time for your next checkup and so on and so forth. So that then builds that trust even more slowly to say, okay, there's somebody that's looking after me. I'm being looked at at a personal level to say there is a care team behind this that's helping me get through this. And when you talk about nudges, I think that's the other pretty exciting role that digital health can have. And specifically amongst people who maybe aren't accessing care in that brick and mortar space. And then as a a subtext of that as well is it might be hard to reach populations, but also it's around equity and having access. Some people don't have the ability to take time off from work, or if they do, it costs them money. Is there any evidence that actual delivery of care through digital health is improving outcomes and improving access, improving equitable care? Yes. I think let me start with maybe give you a story on the first part, right? So during the pandemic, we had this need to have a virtual channel for urgent care so that we could actually help more people especially to your point earlier, if they don't really need to be in an ER or urgent care, how could we still take care of them? Because from the consumer patient perspective, they may see their condition as, oh, this is something that I need to go to urgent. This is urgent for me, whether the acuity and the symptoms might matter. So when we launched our virtual urgent care service, when we launched it in one of the markets, it was a Friday morning 6, 6.30 a.m. And we got this mother of two or three children, and she was the first one on that channel. And she had a kid. One of the kids was not feeling well, had some conditions. So the entire thing was taken care of on the video visit in 20 minutes. And she got a prescription that she could pick up in a nearby pharmacy. She was done and she could go for the rest of the day. We later heard her send us the story and say, this virtual care changed my life and experience on that day. What a you, gift, right? To to be a mom with kids who's got to get to school, get the kids, and to be able to have an answer and a solution in a 20-minute virtual digital experience. I mean, talk about, again, that experience. She felt better. She Her needs were met. That's pretty meaningful. Yeah, and I think that's sort of the profound thing in terms of the in terms of how these virtual offerings could help. I'll give you another example on the social. 
you talk about do people have access and it's not just you able to walk into a facility or something right it's also your life and if you have a let's say you have a 9 to 5 job and the pharmacy where you have to pick up the prescription is only open from 9 to 5 as well then how do you go do that or the pharmacy where you have to pick up the medication is not on your route to wherever you are working and you have to go 30 minutes on the other side to go do it how do you then keep up with your medication and continue uh, this thing so we did some work in this area where we were able to identify pockets of such needs from a social aspect of it and then be able to get them to understand what their challenges were and why they were not able to keep up with their medication or they were not keeping up their appointment because they didn't have transportation and be able to offer solutions that again started and initiated through digital but eventually kind of brought them to where they needed the care or where they needed to pick up the prescription in some cases mailed it to them some cases we gave them an uber thing to say we'll pick you up for your visit so that you can make it to the appointment so these sort of social economic challenges and and other things are all part of this healthcare challenge that we have to be able to deliver the care and digital can be at the forefront on some of these as well with all that said i think we do have to again accessibility is a huge challenge even on the digital channel and we put tremendous efforts to actually making sure that whatever we design the experiences and and so on is accessible to everyone and it's easy to work with it and still get where where you need to get to so a lot of care goes into that aspect of it as well and ensuring that it is something that's truly available and accessible to as many people as we can Yeah. I love your examples because it really brings together that we need both. That you have to have even if you have a digital experience a lot of times the solution is a physical one whether that be a therapy or a therapeutic those kinds of things and being able to coordinate all of those through a system that connects them it is really key. So Nari when I think about digital health there are a lot of entrants in the market And what I see is a lot of these companies taking a piece of it. And they're taking that piece that doesn't rely on bricks and mortar because of course it's a lot less expensive if you don't have to build those things out, which is truly disruptive in a way, but it might not be disruptive in a positive way in that it's actually interfering with the continuity sometimes it's disaggregating the care that's out there so when you have really digital health transformation in a digital first strategy what are the strengths of an integrated system that can actually provide the physical with the digital versus just going to an app or a program or a phone call service that's out there great question great question so i think before i answer the the second part if you think about the first part why there is so many new entrants into this market and how they are trying to disrupt it and so on the opportunity is huge i mean trillions of dollars in here so obviously that attracts competition from from all different shapes and sizes and backgrounds right and some of the easier places to go is to see where technology can quickly get some efficiencies and get some margins taken in terms of where and how you do that so that's why you see a lot of that but what sets an integrated care system like kaiser apart is what we do and how we do it and it's how it's rooted in the mission and the purpose of why we were here in the first place so 
Kaiser, for instance, as some of you may know, been around for 70 plus years and started with that singular listing of providing high quality affordable care and to serve people in the communities that we serve. So it's rooted in the mission and the purpose of how we do it. And we talk about caring for you, being here all the time for all that is you. And the for all that is you is, is really significantly important. So me as a consumer, I could go into a lot of other systems where, I hate to say it this way, but a lot of the times I'm just a transaction. I go in, I do something, I pay a fee, and maybe I'm happy that time. But in the long term, I may not want to be seen as a transaction. I don't want to be seen as, oh, here's another opportunity to get some service done and charge for it, right? So I am much more than that. I'm a holistic person. I would hope my healthcare system recognizes me in that sense and then all of my needs. So, so the integrated care system, the value-based care that we have provides that. And it's at the fundamental DNA of how we do it. And then even from a simple convenience aspect, right? If I'm in a different system, I may have to go to multiple places and have multiple things to take care of my needs, whether I have to go somewhere to get the x-rays done, somewhere else to go get my labs done. Here I am, and I could walk into a facility and get everything taken care of and walk out feeling good about my health. That's the power of the integrated system. And how does that translate to something that we do on digital? As I said, a lot of what we do on digital is centered around the consumer. So from the moment you log on to our app or to the website, we try to learn every interaction you have with that. We try to learn more about you and personalize for you. So if you log on and we know that there is a prescription that due or you need to refill, we'll prompt you for that as soon as you log on. We know there is an appointment coming and there the attending for the physician has some questions that you have to answer. We'll prompt you so you can take care of it right there so you don't have to fill out a form when you go sit in for that appointment. So understanding the full you understanding how we provide the best care for you without trying to piecemeal and think about a transaction at a time. I think that's the power of the integrated value-based system. And I think that's why as members and as consumers and as employees, people end up signing up for Kaiser Fund. I love that, that we are holistic people and therefore need a holistic system. I think that that's really, really accurate. What are you excited about? Where do you think digital transformation is going to be if you could look two years into the future? So I'm not going to have you, you know, we're not going to have flying cars yet. But what's your vision for two years out? What does that look like? There's a lot going on in the industry now that hopefully some of it would be come to fruition by two years. But if I were to imagine the healthcare of today to where it was prior to the pandemic, it's already gone through a lot of transformation. Now, if you fast forward another two, three years, then I truly, first of all, I truly see an healthcare system where me as a consumer, I am in control of my health. I have things to know that I'm doing well. And if I have to manage something, I know I can get the care I want when I need it, how I need it, whichever channel I need it, and be in full control of my health. So that's something that I think we're getting there. I think the pandemic's accelerated some of it, but we're still not there fully yet, I think. So that is something we are fairly close to seeing pretty soon. The, the second part of it is today, again, a lot of what we think about holistic care quite a bit. And I think when the dialogue happens in the healthcare system, in the public, 
it's focused on physical health. And I know there's a little bit more awareness now about mental health and social health as well. But I do see not only us, but other systems as well, making quite a bit of progress in the next few years to kind of bringing that holistic health to the forefront. So, I mean, I have two daughters and completely different generation. Their needs are very different from what I was in their age. And so how you focus on that physical, mental and social health aspects and bring that to the appropriate folks. And I think that's something that's coming together quite a bit. Again, it's something that I look forward to. From a technology standpoint, a lot could change in two years. Where I feel we should see a lot more happening right away is there's a lot of automation that can happen. We talked about even physicians doing a lot of work. There's so much automation that can help in the back office of a healthcare system where you're still dealing with forms and claims and all of that. So I think a lot more automation can come in that would drive a lot more efficiencies. So physicians have more time to spend with the patients. The healthcare systems have more margins to be able to invest in other areas of the business. Augmentation is the other part that I feel quite a bit is going to happen. Again, today, you can ask your voice assistant, you can ask them a question, and most often they'll come back with a response. As humans, oftentimes, we have a hard time is, is that factually right? Is that completely right? Or, or am I just going off of what I'm... And then last but not the least, I think robotic surgery and precision medicine is something that we're all looking forward to. I don't know if it's two years. There's already places where robotic surgery is happening for certain types of surgeries. It could even become much more normal, mainstream. Especially when you think about countries and areas in the world where, for whatever reason, it could be not possible for them to have the specialists and so on, how that sort of a thing can help. And then last but not the least, the precision medicine side of it. I think we talk about personalization and hyper-personalization quite a bit from a consumer experience standpoint. And I talked about the medication. How do I get to a point in, in the near future where the medicines prescribed for me are really tailored and personalized for me, my DNA, my conditions, my genetic dispositions, and all of that. I think we're, from the pharmaceutical industry perspective, that is something that's moving forward, even though it's kind of parallel, but it's going to help the healthcare side of it quite a bit as, as we get there. Yeah, absolutely. That mass personalization ability to do things. We have had a wide-ranging conversation, Nari. And a few things that I would just want to reflect back, you know, I, I really connected, there's transparency, education that has to happen, feeling in control of my health. And I think it's not just the knowledge and transparency, but it's the empowerment. And going back to the gaming parallel, it's feeling in control, but having an experience that I want to, having a challenge that helps my health be better, but not so challenging, I get discouraged. And really, all of this is in service of people being healthier and feeling better and really, again, being able to level up through their individual health or our collective health, either as a group together, public health in the places that we work or society at large. As you think about what you would hope that people would walk away from listening to this conversation, are there any takeaways that you particularly want people to hang on to? So I think from a consumer standpoint, I would say one should feel better in terms of where the healthcare transformation has come in the past few years and where it's headed. 
I think we can now truly say that we are starting to look at the consumers at the center of a lot of this, because I think historically, healthcare system has been one where a lot of things revolved around the physicians and the care side. We have truly turned that corner, and I think there's momentum building even more. So meeting the consumers where they are and kind of making them feel like they're the most important when you do have that care need and they encounter and then how they go from it. And rebuilding that trust with them to say that data and insights and knowledge that comes from that data is not only helping you as the consumer, but the larger consumer base as well and how, how you go about there. From a health system, healthcare delivery perspective, I think what I would say is digital is a great tool. It's a great enabler. You've done right to not only can go beyond the experience on the digital channel, you could touch that consumer interaction at every touch point in the system and provide them that aha moment that we're all looking for. It's very common in the other industries too, but certainly in healthcare, what you're looking for. So how do you unleash the power of digital to kind of get that going not just on the front end of the experience, but all through the entire system. So the consumer feels like they get the best of what they can get out of the healthcare system. Love that. Thank you. Nari, wow. I think you've only been in this role officially for a little less than six months. I'm really delighted by your leadership and can't wait to see what you're going to do in the next two to three years. I'll give you the three as we look backwards and forwards in the transformation of digital healthcare delivery. Thank you so much for your time for this conversation. You are incredibly knowledgeable. And again, I feel overwhelmed on your behalf when I think about the the breadth of care that you are coordinating and all the stakeholders that are involved, but obviously up to the task. Is there anything that I didn't ask that you wish I would have? No, no, I think this is a great conversation. Thank you again for, for having me. It's been a great opportunity to be here and share my views on health and how digital is truly starting to impact the direction of how we go in improving the healthcare system at large. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks to my guests for joining me today. And thank you for listening to the Health Views podcast with Deb Friesen, MD. I hope you'll share this episode with colleagues, friends, and family members who are interested in diving deeper into meaningful and relevant health and wellness topics. I look forward to the next conversation and will share another episode of Health Views with you soon. Take good care. This podcast is for general informational purposes only. The discussion reflects the opinions of the speakers and is not intended to represent Kaiser Permanente policy. It does not constitute the practice of medicine, nursing, or other professional healthcare services, including the giving of medical advice. The content is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. No doctor-patient relationship is formed. The use of this information is at the listener's own risk. Listeners should not disregard or delay obtaining medical advice for any medical condition they may have and should seek the assistance of their medical professionals.